of Mike, Mike, and Eats. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here, fresh off his first foray into the New York Film Festival with a belly full of laughter, cheer, and film criticism. And uh, a whole lot of everything you're about to hear about because <laughs> I I really went off. I think, uh, I think this podcast has actually, I mean, not that I needed to, but the podcast is enabling me. It's, okay. it's definitely enabling me to do more and so I can, you know, talk about it in a big way. There's something to blame it on. Yes. No, I'm yeah. eating my feelings, but this is definitely encouraging me to do so. But I, I I mean, listen, we did it exactly right this weekend, so I can't I can't wait to go back and like, you know, just keep doing it. So I, I think I've hit my groove is what I'm trying to say. All what right. do you hear? And we do have a smorgasbord, as I've looked it up for the title of last episode. It is a, it's a Borg, is what it is. It is a Borg. Borg. Yeah, it is a Borg. So we have a smorgasbord, even though I think I said smorgasbord at the first time, but nonetheless, of uh, offerings for you today from the New York Film Festival. Mike was there, and he is going to be pairing his offerings of these thoughts on these films alongside the dishes that he did consume, which is, I mean, thank God France did nominate... Uh, <laughs> Whatever, the taste of things, or the pot on fire, as it used to be called. So we have somewhat of a coherence tie-in here. Uh, sort of. Uh, we're stretching. <laughs> but my brother, who I went you know, to the film festival this weekend with, uh, as well as my friend, uh, our friend JJ, uh, mm-hmm. we, we, the, the running joke was that this should be 30 minutes of food criticism and maybe 10 minutes of movie reviews. Well, based and on the doc, that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think so. But uh, no, we'll get to poor things and all of us strangers in a minute. But first, uh, Magnolia Bakery in Grand Central. This is not fair. I did not know Magnolia Bakery was in Grand Central. They have this world-famous banana pudding. Now, the banana pudding was better when you get it like a big fluffy cloud on on 59th Street in Columbus Circle. Like here, you just kind of get it smushed in a in a box, and it's fine. It's good. Is it pudding in the in the American traditional sense, where it's actual pudding, or is it like it is. English pudding? Okay, so it's it just is. actual, like Bill Cosby before the creepiness pudding. But the yeah, it's interesting you went there. But mm-hmm. I, the big fluffy uh, or the big crunchy vanilla wafers have have turned into like mushy vanilla wafers, I which see. is very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I, I preferred it on 59th Street, but it's not bad. They hit the spot at Grand Central, especially because I didn't eat since like breakfast, like okay. eight, you know, seven thirty in the morning. So I was this is two in the afternoon, and I hadn't eaten. So this banana pudding went down in record time. I would oh, have was, you know. was there is there a line if it's in right in Grand Central? It was a huge line. I had to wait uh, like five minutes, but it moved. The line moved. Oh, so right, that, five that, minutes. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't too All bad. Right. So we made reservations for two forty five. So we got there early. We made reservations for two forty five at Emily in the West Village, Michael, because Emily is supposed to have the very best burger in the city according to youtube and all the videos my brother and i kept sharing with each other and watching and you two attack this like nfl scouts with, yes uh, the video reviews and the, did you have like boards with pins in them and stuff 
Like a conspiracy theorist? We did so much research. <laughs> we really did. We did okay. hours and hours of research. We wanted, like, we still well, want to I was do... slaving through our WGA settlement episode. <laughs> <laughs> we still want to do, like, an Action Bronson day where we just follow what Action Bronson did on Fuck oh, That's yeah. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, we... That got us going, but then we we totally looked up every website we can. What are the best burgers in the city? What kind of food do we want? And we we went around and around, and we found this one place that actually, because we were torn between pizza, chicken sandwiches, and burgers, and this Mm -hmm. place, Emily, did all three tremendously well, apparently, and they also had the quote-unquote best burger in the city. So this was like a match made in heaven. Even though they just opened a place in Westport, we're like, screw it. We, we want to go to this Yeah, New get York. the authentic, yeah. Yeah, and get the real location, uh, real burger here. What's cool about this place is they got a couple locations, and at the second location, they do like a unique burger. So this one is their famous burger at their original location. And if you go to Midtown, you can get their take on a Big Mac. Or Big Mac. It's called Le Big Matt, as in the, <laughs> the husbands. It's a husband and wife place, Matt and Emily. Oh, so right. Emily is the, yeah, and then Le Big Matt at Emmy Squared is the, anyway, and the Emmy So does the Westport burger. one have its own unique burger? I think the Westport one has something unique, but it has all, it has everything. Okay. Oh, so wow. if you right. if you want to go to Westport, you can have one of each. Yeah, we have to do that. I have to check this out. So the Detroit style pizza, we were looking through seventy four different combinations on the the train ride up. We could not agree. <laughs> like we we finally agreed on the three sauce pie. So this was tomato pesto vodka, and then we were arguing about whether we should get any toppings on it. We we ultimately decided no <laughs> toppings. But here's the thing: the waiter immediately suggested like. You guys like spicy food? And we're like, yeah, it's fine. So you got I suggest you get the chilies and the pep. Chilies and the pep. That's how we talked. Chilies and the pep on the Detroit style MVP. And we're like, fine. <laughs> well, they, and see, that's I, I would have been infuriated with you if I was part of this conversation on the train. Because <laughs> we argued the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What the hell but was we the were, point of the conversation? We were immediately swayed. Immediately swayed. And, and I'm glad we did. I mean, the fact the chilies gave it some, some, some spice. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a ton of great pizza. I love Detroit-style pizza. This was very good, but not like anything super special pizza. So, okay. yeah, I mean, you could go to all these places, and I think you can get it more special with, like, the hot oil or the hot honey, or right. they do stuff with banana peppers and all that unique. I am a big fan of hot honey lately. I'm in a hot Yeah, honey me era. too. I, uh, charcuterie hot honey right now is where mm-hmm. I, my life is living, and I love it. I agree. Now, the the best thing about Emily were these two sandwiches. We we split a spicy chicken sandwich into thirds. This was Nashville hot chicken, ranch pickles, greens, radish. We kind of did the, the pizza, which was small, very small. I only had one slice. And the chicken sandwich as the appetizers to our meal in a way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it, it was like two bites. It was, it was a perfect appetizer because I just wanted to try this sandwich. Right. And good God, man, this was one of the best chicken sandwiches ever. And it's, and it's because of the common factors, I would say, with the burger. You got the heat. You got some really you know, delicious pickles, etc. Now, but, was it, do you think it was really that good or is it just like you, it had to be good because of all the time you put into it? There's no question all the time. <laughs> Time we put into it is a factor, but I cannot deny the anticipation, the drooling, all of that leads into the experience because this Emmy double stack burger has the same reasoning for why it was so good. The texture of these sandwiches are tremendous, Michael. It felt like 
I mean, I like a cookout burger. I mm-hmm. like a perfectly juicy cookout burger. And that has a softer texture because you're taking the rolls just out of the bag. It's a fluffy roll, right? The regular hamburger rolls. We grew up on that stuff. It's delicious. And when you get a double burger, it, it goes down easy and it's, oh my God, it's so good. Now, this pretzel bun, I would have eaten a rubber boot off of this bun. I would have eaten anything. I would have eaten a pine cone off of this pretzel bun. It was a it was still a soft pretzel bun, which was it blew my mind. When I hear pretzel rolls, I think like it's all right, this is gonna be a big chewy roll. Yes. Yes. This and was this a more, fluffy into a bow. Correct. This was a fluffy, delicious, and it has a little bit of chew, but not too much. This was the most perfectly composed burger because you had two juicy patties with a lot of American cheese. I almost thought there was like double slices of American cheese on there. Again, speaks to every beautiful, wonderful cookout burger I've ever had. And you add caramelized onions on top. You add crunchy pickles to the bottom. And then you have this sriracha secret sauce. I don't know what's in there. It felt like a hot sauce, sriracha sauce, a ton of kick. and that You're swallowing because you're making yourself drool right That's right. Now. <laughs> the soft pretzel bun was the, was the hero of both the chicken sandwich and, and the burger. And I, I got to say, I mean, it might have been all of the uh, – uh, the experience is coming together, but the, the, my brother was like, this is the best meal I've ever had. I'm like, meal? So was it the best burger you've had in New York in your times in it's New York It's the City? best burger I've ever had. And maybe wow. I am totally biased. Maybe I was so starving hungry because I didn't eat since 7 in the morning, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I finally put this down. Maybe it was the ambiance of what felt like the Appletini the social network Facebook place. It <laughs> felt like I was living in that place. It looked just like that. It had Drop the white. The just Big Matt. <laughs> and look at look. Our spinoff podcast is now Mike, Mike, and, and Emmy Double Stack Burgers. There That's the go. new MMO spinoff. <laughs> That's what I want. Maybe that'll be the shtick. You should just be eating something during the recording of each episode from now on. And at the end, we can culminate with a grade as to whether or not it fits your palate. It's worthy of your palate. It was so good. It was so good. I need to like. There's an Emmy squared. I I don't even have to think about where I'm going next this weekend. Like I'm going to Emmy that's Square. In, that's in the city. You said that's more it towards Lincoln Center. Yeah, it's like okay. 60th Street or something. It's like a five minute walk from where I where Lincoln Center is. I never knew this. Are you gonna get the Big Mac? So I'm gonna get the Le Big Mat. And maybe the Le also Mike can be one of those pretzel buns with a pine cone in it. <laughs> I could, I'll eat anything. I'll eat a giant piece of poopy on those pretzel buns. I don't care. It's delicious. <laughs> you got a real Frankenstein's monster of a situation that you've overly sexualized. And speaking of that exact segue and setup, uh, you did eventually get to poor things. So we went to poor things. We're feeling good right now. We're feeling no pain. Like it, what, mm-hmm. we didn't over believe it or not. We didn't overeat because I had a one slice of pizza, a bite of a chicken sandwich, and a burger. I didn't touch the fries. So it's like it's not like I'm so full, I'm groggy, I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling good. Good. All right. Okay. Perfectly so we're going into poor things. I'm a stone. Right. And poor things is funny. Like I was really taken aback by how many big, hard chuckle, good stuff belly laughs in poor things. That was the biggest takeaway is how funny it is. The performances are probably my number two. Like Mark Ruffalo. Huh. Mark Ruffalo is in Ken gosling territory here 
the dance sequence alone, Michael, is going to put him as one of our favorites of the year. Huh. Like, he kills me. He's in the movie for like an hour. He just kills me for a whole hour. It's one of the great asshole performances of all time. And, and he, he plays one of the greatest asshole characters of all time. So you can put that on a poster of Fox Searchlight, uh, right. Dis- Disney Searchlight, greatest assholes ever. Did you uh, expect there to be a dance sequence? I saw some gifts, but I didn't know it was going to be blown out as much. And I, yeah, it was it was funny. Yeah, that's news to me. Okay. Now Emma Stone's performance was very bizarre early, which the trailer suggested, yeah. right? And she's basically acting in a series of ridiculous theater exercises for the first like forty <laughs> minutes, and she breaks through. Like you see her character and the nuances, and and she'll wow you in a moment. And she's also got some serious, seriously funny moments in the in that first uh, 40 minutes where she's like going through Piaget's stages of development and coming back online as a person. I don't think people realize how funny she I, I, I mean she's done comedy as a basis for most of her career even La La Land has a lot of comedy in it but it's like comedy if she was wearing a shock collar <laughs> and her performance is ludicrous and then like obviously it turns into like this really twisted being there Forrest Gump type of situation for her where she's this fish out of water in this sex Here's your Oscar. Yeah. So the movie goes off the rails and Oh, you don't say (laughs) the middle of the film, the Lisbon, the cruise Paris, it's really fun and it's really nuts and it's really sexy and crazy and disturbing. And you have an hour and 15 minutes where this movie is just, as engaging as anything, the side characters are funny. It's you're, you're 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 looking at it and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe they're going here. And then the ending is some hard earned satisfaction. So you have a lot of pros. The costumes, kooky and classic and fun. And the biggest question I had is the question that is timeless on MMO, Michael. Was this steampunk? Is this steampunk? That I mean, is that a steamboat? I thought we it was. We keep asking this. Yeah, it's like this retro futuristic because they're in the future, but they're wearing like nineteenth century, turn of the century clothing. Does anyone have black goggles atop their head? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, then yeah. I think that's the, the line of demarcation for me. I think this might have been steampunk. Yeah. Was there steam? <sighs> That's what I don't know. Oh. It was punky. I think, like, goggles on the head plus steam for me is steampunk. I definitely saw goggles. Okay. We're halfway there, then. S&M goggles as well. <laughs> so there's multiple sets of goggles, I believe. Uh, so the costumes were great. And and multiple times, this co- if, I, forgive me, I didn't write down her name. Multiple times during the Q&A, she got a huge ovation. So my guess is that these costumes are going to go a long way with the Academy at the end of the day, because I'd never seen that before. Like, stop, you know, just in the middle of the Q&A and, and clap her up, which was pretty Holly fun. Waddington is her name. Okay, good, good, thank you. And uh, She was terrific. She got a ton of applause at the Q&A. Uh, production design. <laughs> Here's the problem with the production no, design. No, I, I, I figured it out. I figured out how we can get out of this while still being right. Please. Okay, so we said based on everything that this is this is just the Wes Anderson of uh, uh, the, why does the director's name escape me right now? Mike? Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos. Good. This is Yorgos doing Wes Anderson, right? And mm-hmm. since we said yes. the Wes Anderson movie was one of the locks for production design, this fills that slot as well, which is Again, really a two for one. We stare into the mirror from Lord <laughs> of the Rings. 
One of us is Frodo, but it's hard to interpret what the mirror shows us. They show right, us the scouring exactly. of the Shire, but does it have to come to pass? We're also uh, Gollum. <laughs> Our fate is that of another. We're Schmeagle and Gollum <laughs> talking to each other. Turned into a bit. Okay. Yeah. Now. The per- another positive for poor things is that the pearl clutchers are going to clutch. Now we kind of like that because we feel like you know this is punk rock because Barbie. It's this is crazy. Graphically sexual or yeah, pearl clutchers are going to clutch, and-, and yet this movie is transcending the pearl clutchers because this is getting you know four quadrant appeal Oscar buzz right. Mm-hmm. We're-, we're seeing this in maybe nine ten categories for most people. I would wonder, and I I would have a slight amount of skepticism that it's going to get that far. But, I mean, look, the makeup and hairstyling for Willem Dafoe's character alone. I mean, adapted screenplay, director, everybody loves Yorgos right now. Actress, obviously. What was the original name of the sitcom on CBS for all those years? Supporting actor, uh, I think, uh, Ruffalo. Is Emma Stone that good as she's been advertised to be? She's very good. So, ultimately, okay. her performance wins you over once she's back online once she's or once she's starting to to figure out the situation and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean she's she's tremendous now i wouldn't expect a performance like this to win necessarily and i gotta be honest with you i i mean when was the last time you know uh, i mean kate winslet when she was naked the whole movie and the reader (laughs) Mm. i just think pearl clutchers are gonna have a hard time picking her to win but, I mean, pearl clutching aside, if Emma Stone's walking around as a two-time lead actress winner at the age of whatever she like pre thirty-five, yeah, she's on her that's, way. That'd be unprecedented stuff. I just think the category is very much open right now, and even though I agree. we're going to talk about Carrie Mulligan as uh, taking a, a potential lead, you know, Emma Stone is right there. So, cons. Why did? Why am I kind of? given a, a butt to this conversation. Well, I hated the beginning of this movie. Kind of like I hated the trailer. And the trailer is so off-key. You know, you want to scream. I mean, again, maybe I, w- I was feeling a little full. But I like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't totally gorged by what I ate. So the black and white makes it aggravated me a little bit and the origin story this frankenstein origin story aggravated me and i wonder if it was slow or was the content it's slow it's jarring it's weird it's like the trailer there are fish ducks and doggy (laughs) chickens and nonsense stupid okay the frankenstein story is stupid and it pissed me off and then the explanation for what they did is even stupider and then i hated this the music. I hated the score. It was nails on a chalkboard until the very end of the movie. The hmm. denouement. Uh, the composer, Jerskin Fendricks, explained why in the Q&A, because he's like, Yorgos wanted something unique, and then I took all these instruments and I played notes off these instruments that have never been played before, or that it just isn't done. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a reason why they're never done, Jerskin. <laughs> Because they sound like dying animals for two hours. What I did was take this accordion and I just heaved it into the side of the cellar wall. <laughs> it was it was really 
awkward sounding and I am just I have sensitive ears or whatever I just want my movies to sound like movies and maybe I'm not cool anymore you don't like jarring loudness I don't like jarring loudness and I don't like really weird scores I guess Mm -hmm. and 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 look at if I was in a throng of people in the early 1900s and I had a full head of rotting cabbage I would throw it at the orchestra (laughs) and I would not be a good person to do so but I would want to do that uh, so I did not like the music in pro- Poor Things. But thematically, thematically, I think is where the I, I have questions. Now, I wonder if there's going to be a backlash to, to this movie for how sex-obsessed it is and for how male filmmaker-driven it is because mm. this is a, a, a man's, a straight guy's novel adapted by a, you know, a, a male screenwriter, adapted by a male director, and you worry that there's some male gaziness here that, that people are going to pick out. And I don't, I don't know. I, th- I feel like it was not gratuitous, even though it's constant, because they're, they're writing this so well. And she's really developing throughout you know, the film. And, and, and you've got a lot of characterization and you're learning new things. She's developing her own personality is what I'm trying to say throughout right. the movie because she's just kind of come online as this Frankenstein and there's a lot of weaponized jokes in there, but best of all, to end with a positive, this is like a screaming, shouting F you to the patriarchy. To the point where I want all those Barbie bros who dislike Barbie because they because they they thought it was like criticizing the man. Because they're insecure. I would love for them to watch poor things next. Yeah. Just get like a tidal wave. I'm sure that'll be on their watch list. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing the, the amount of nudity in this, if they're shallow, evil people, draw them in. That might draw them in. You know? There is this big renaissance going on right now. Maybe it's a fallout of how all these stars were hacked and how their personal pictures leaked. And Jennifer Lawrence comes to mind of like, you know, them claiming it back and this feministic, right. like, we're going to take control of our bodies and take control of our nudity and like, you think you're in control of us, you think you can blackmail us or whatever, like, F you, I'm going to do it on my own type thing, this, like, renaissance that's happening. So there, that is a big feministic empowerment thing, at least from my point of view, but, you know, that and $5 gets you a coffee from Starbucks, so right. I, I could be way off. And I hope that this movie, playing at as many festivals as it's at, poor things, has gotten vetted by a, enough people that are that are deeming it a worthwhile empowerment story like your mm-hmm. goes past the test. And, and obviously Emma Stone is a produ- producer on this. So right. she's had a large hand in the filmmaking and, and he, and he's been very complimentary in how much agency she's had in the production process here. So the clarity of that female empowerment message has raised so many fists in the air at these festivals that I think that's going to resonate with awards bodies. That's probably why, People are so hyped up, and I, I walked out of the screen and like, yeah, I mean that's that's awesome, and, and 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 you feel that way. So even if you go through like the first twenty thirty minutes and you hate you hate this world, you come mm-hmm. away just cheering for it. So that's I mean, look at that is at the end of the day, a filmmaker at the top of his game, great performances, and you know the, it's a B plus at the very least. I would say, even though I have a trouble grading this, I need to see poor things again. You're alongside Good Company, the critical reception. It sits at a 98% on 55 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes right now, a 94 Metascore off 50 critic reviews. 
Uh, it had a 100% after Telluride in Venice, so it's only gone down a little bit. It had uh, that same 94 Metascore off its first 34 critic reviews, so those scores are maintaining extremely high. It is being received very, very well. This probably uh, most likely is a multi-time Oscar nominee, uh, like you've kind of positioned it and set it up to be. So now we'll ask the question on everybody's mind. <laughs> if you have a naked Jennifer Lawrence versus a naked Frankenstein Emma Stone in a fight on a beach... So one has the biological advantage of being constructed by man. The other has the home field advantage of having fought on the turf once already. Naked Jennifer Lawrence, I'll give a plus 175. Naked Emma Stone, a minus 250. Where are you putting your money? Uh, you're a bad person. You're just a bad <laughs> It could be person. refereed by the guy well, from Roma. Jennifer Lawrence, if there's a referee. <laughs> if there's no referee, and this is just, she could, you know, Emma Stone could fight dirty, Emma Stone's going to yeah. win. Okay. Interesting. From Interesting take. No, that's I like that you tied that into to more intrigue about the movie and watching it. All right, good. very good. Good. All right, I did good. All right, look it. Uh, I went to PJ Clark's afterwards instead of seeing another movie because I was advocating to my brother and our friend JJ that we, you know we should see Foe, the Paul Mescal, Sir Sharon, and Amazon Studios. It's going to be the world premiere of the movie, and you know we should see this as a director of. Uh, of the Nicole Kidman movie, Lion, and Dev Patel mm-hmm. movie, right? So this guy's an oscar director, and I'm glad we didn't see it, Michael. That yeah, movie got slammed. Yeah. 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, 43 Metascore. So we did the right thing. We went to P.J. Plark, Clark's. <laughs> which is always the right thing. Which is always the right thing. And we went for fancy drinks. We, we were wondering if we should get appetizers because we're like, we're still kind of, you know, we're fine. This was the same night after the... This is right after the movie. <laughs> We we ate all that After we ate the at burger Emily. and all that. Yeah, we ate all we ate at Emily. We drank a lot. We saw the movie. We stayed for the and Q&A. then you're like, let's get apps. And we went back to PJ Clark's, <laughs> okay. and we were go- just gonna go to PJ Clark's for key lime pie, and then we're like, yeah, but this all this stuff tastes delicious. Like, oh, I want you to try these wings, right? Sweet chili wings with apricot and mustard glaze, pickled habanero, a very unique wing. And it's unique especially because it's grilled and you taste like the grill. So we each, you know, I mean, they give you six wings. So six wings, we each had two. Easy, right? Do you not have any digestive issues? <laughs> I was fine. I was fine. I still. would not be. That's. I'm imagining myself, even eating that little as you say they were, I would have been like doubled over I'm floating. I'm still spry like a youngster in this regard. <laughs> we had the Rhode Island calamari, which I did not want to order because I haven't had calamari since my octopus teacher. Okay. But my brother kept arguing <laughs> with me. Kept, he's like, this is not an octopus. This is squid. I don't know right, if he's totally right. different animal. I didn't look. He's like, squid are dumb. Squid are, you know, they're not... <laughs> They're not my octopus teacher. Your brother making an impassioned case at the bar as to why you should order this meal. Very angry with me. And, you know, but it was delicious because, you know, the, the calamari's got all these pickled uh, jalapenos in there, hot peppers. Awesome. But the best app we got was the tuna tartare and mango, ginger, jalapeno, pickled cucumbers. This was just delicious, Michael. Aren't pickled cucumbers just, you know, <laughs> pickles? Probably, but they taste—they taste like cucumbers. I'll be honest with you. They taste- that just means they haven't pickled yet. Okay, but they were delicious. I don't, look, it, it was <laughs> don't like, get mad at me. <laughs> here's what it, what was also good. It was like this fried chips that you scooped it up on, which was awesome. 
Like I'm trying to think of it's almost like a dessert chip because like thick and fried and my uh, stomach is starting to churn thinking about all that. So you had tuna on top of calamari on top of wings on top of a burger (laughs) on top of chicken sandwich on top of a slice of pizza. I actually thought we were like restraining ourselves by the quantity (laughs) that we ate because we really didn't eat that much. I didn't even finish the burger. I was trying to hold back. You keep saying that. (laughs) And yet. I, I, I realize this looks bad. I realize this looks like I'm a total fat. And you washed it down with what? I had a Guinness. Oh, my God. And I had an espresso martini. You have to have the stomach of, like, a 1940 <laughs> steel worker. <laughs> like, just cigarette and gumball sandwiches for and, lunch. And then we had the key lime pie, which was the most delicious thing in the history of mankind. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite desserts ever. Graham cracker crust? It, it felt like a graham cracker crust. It's either oh, a graham cracker. it had to be. Yeah, it's not like a normal pie crust. It, it definitely felt like a graham cracker crust. It was just yeah. on the bottom. It was almost like a, a cheesecake. I mean, it's a cheesecake feel to this key lime pie. It's very creamy. If you go and get, like, key lime pie at your local dimer, diner, it's almost like this neon green stuff. No, this is like this creamy, delicious yeah. key lime pie, which is just, I mean, just re- unbelievably good oh my god and it's very limey by the way right but i like that yeah when it's done right but you got you the, the trick with the key lime pie for me is you got to have that graham cracker i mean graham cracker crust is like i don't know minus 700 <laughs> like, it's just so good regular pie crust and get the hell out of here. i think our vices are on full display <laughs> in this episode <sighs> anyway back to the banging michael this time let's bring in paul mescal for it so i went back monday night to all of us strangers at Alice Tully Hall. Now, I am still full from Sunday, so I'm going to go lighter. So I'm just, I'm, I'm getting sushi. I'm trying to find a place to go. And I, I look, I'm not no sushi connoisseur. I don't need me some fancy sushi. I was even considering, <laughs> like, the places around the corner from Grand Central that do, like, okay. the quickie sushi, because I'm running late. I'm okay. barely going to get there. So I'm rolling in. Maybe I, I like I sit down and it's eight oh five. I got an eight thirty screening. Okay, wow. so Playing I'm like fire. worried. I'm worried I'm gonna be late. So I immediately order with the guy. I get a at at this Amber place on West Seventieth, and they do a beautiful job. I'm at the bar. I order sushi and sashimi for one, which is a a single roll, six pieces sashimi excuse me (laughs) four pieces of sushi which is uh, off the rice and then one hand roll and now listen listen i mean you guys if you've learned anything about me i'm very joe house but i'm built like (laughs) joe pantoliano as ralphie (laughs) cifaretto and and look at i could eat so i could have eaten three of these this was like Uh this dainty pretty like you were making fun of me for th- this was a lot of sushi. This was not like a lot, a lot of, sushi. of sushi. No, it was not a lot of sushi. <laughs> well, I've eaten a lot of sushi. Yeah. After sitting through this review, I realized now it was not. <laughs> I, I literally could have eaten three of these. It was still like expensive. I still still spent forty five bucks. It was delicious, very tasty. And I'll be honest with you, maybe I Does learned sushi something. fill you up. No, but here's what okay. I learned. I was not like super hungry later. Like I didn't eat the rest of the night. I was fine. You know, I had a Gatorade. That rice expanded in your stomach. You know what? Maybe it's teaching me portion control <laughs> that I can actually eat a like day a, too late. a human being. My uncle used to tell me when I was a kid, he's like, take human bites. 
<laughs> you're going through your own poor things. <laughs> so maybe this has always been a thing with me, even though I've been a relatively athletic person my whole life, mm-hmm. but relatively is a stretch right now. So yeah, I had a beautiful, you know, plate of sushi and I left at like 825. I got to the screening for 830 and right as I'm walking in, the bells are ringing. I sit down on my seat and they come out and intro it. I couldn't have planned it more perfectly, Michael. Could not have planned it more perfectly for all of us strangers. I would have had wicked anxiety doing it, timing it that close. I do this all the time. and Yeah, you are much more familiar with the layout but, of New But here's York the thing. You stuff. know there's going to be a trailer, and then you know there's going to be an intro by the filmmakers, because I knew that he was coming, uh, Andrew Haig. Mm-hmm. So worst case, and it's not polite, but worst case, I got like a 10-minute buffer, <laughs> and I'm not going to not eat. <laughs> right? So you got to prioritize the idea of you just strolling in as they like if the whole crowd turns to you and sees you walking in at the end of Andrew Haig's introduction. <laughs> I've done it before. It's not, I mean, it's, it's it's is it disrespectful? Am I a bad person? Probably. <laughs> but I still I still got in with the crowd for all of us strangers. And I and I overheard one person talking on my way in worried that she was going to cry. She's like, oh, no, I don't want to cry here. I know I'm going to cry. Ultimately, that doesn't happen for me, and I think it's for a lot of reasons. I think it's because I eat my feelings. I think mm-hmm. it's because I'm a cold-hearted stone man, an old, bitter, lovelorn husk of a man who suppresses all feelings that he cannot eat. I'm a tight-fisted really? hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. You get the just idea. A, just a therapy session for you today. <laughs> I'm not the right audience to cry at this. Even though I love the characters, these are adorable characters. Uh, you know, you you absolutely cannot watch all of us strangers and not just, you know, completely, you know, feel for Andrew Scott, Paul Meskel, both the parents too, Claire Foy, Jamie Bell did a wonderful job. So, look, I can't talk about the plot that much, and that's probably a pro and a con. Mm-hmm. It's a revelation plot, and I don't know if the revelations are strong enough for it to be a revelation plot, a plot that you know hinges on the twists in a way. I, you know that that was the biggest letdown for me ultimately, the script, and, and yet it's still fun to think about. Is the payoff worth it on the twist? No, that was the biggest okay. problem. Like you got wonderful, beautiful performances, and you get what they called right in the from the intro because I made the intro, didn't I tell you? Andrew Hay comes right out and he says, or I'm sorry, the the film festival director who was introducing Andrew Hay called at a quote unquote, this is very clearly a melodrama, which definition is a sensational dramatic piece with exaggerated characters and exciting events intended to appeal to the emotions. And again, I do not have those. Uh-huh. I'm still going to grade <laughs> this movie with a B, but I, but I like, I do not have those. So I'm watching this movie and the plots, I'm like, wait a minute. There's too many wait what moments. Like towards So the are end. you falling victim to what we accuse critics of doing too often? Like you're you're talking down, you seem like you were let down and disappointed by this. Yes, I was. Still a, a B is a strong score. I'm gonna give it a strong score because I love the scenes throughout. Like the the mother son scenes, the father son scenes. There are some Stolbarg call me by your name speech moments in this movie between Jamie Bell and Andrew Scott that are just gorgeous and beautiful and you love it. And then there's great moments between, you know, Andrew Scott and, and Paul Meskel. Cinematography's top notch. Uh, you know, the, the, it's it's it felt like this period piece in a way because he's like trapped in the 90s or something. <laughs> he's wearing very 90s clothing, I thought. Anyway, even though it's modern. 
And, and yet, but does being in the room with a filmmaker, do you think, uh, kind of slant your view? I didn't hear any crying, and I didn't hear any. I didn't hear. I didn't feel any of that for people. So I wonder. No. I wonder. Like, but I mean, the, the the filmmaking and how good it is, and how good these scenes are, it's undeniable. The problem is this movie let me down in the end. That's mm-hmm. the problem because I guessed it. I knew it. It wasn't like, unless I misinterpreted it, and there's another layer that I haven't figured out yet. It really was not a surprise. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded in that way, and I need you to to fool me. You know. You hate love. It's understandable. I hate love and. Yeah. Right. And I love love. I love to love, but I hate it because I'm not in. Yeah. You love food and hate love. <laughs> I, lo- I do love food. All of us strangers carrying very high scores still as well. It's got a 97% on 37 Rotten Tomato Critic reviews. Uh, was a 100 on the first 16 reviews after Telluride. The Metascore has is, is dipped a little bit on the first two critics. Gave it a 98 combined, or average, I guess. Uh, five more critics have weighed in since. It's down to a 91, but that's still obviously very, very high. Okay, so I guess to finish this segment, I just want to talk about one more New York Film Festival premiere, and that's Maestro Michael. We already talked about Foe, but Maestro had like this big spotlight gala, and Next Best Picture, Matt Negley and, and friends there have been moving Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper to the top of their lists in the in the lead categories in terms of their predictions. Makeup and hairstyling is, is also atop their boards now. I, I don't remember if they were who was leading before the screening or not, but now they got three winners from Maestro. It's also sixth in their best picture ranking. So Maestro, even though I think coming out of Venice, it got solid reception, it wasn't this rousing reception that I think it hoped for. All the buzz now, the Oscar buzz for Maestro now, is pretty secure, I would say, especially from the fact that it's going to be a performance piece. What's your read on it? I'm just scrolling through Gold Derby right now, and, I mean, Negley is on there, but he's only one of three people that have Bradley Cooper listed at the number one slot. Okay. Um, I am surprised at the reception. Uh, I, I mean, I thought Cooper was going to be in this less than advertised. It seemed to be wrong about that. But I am surprised at the lack of, wow, Carrie Mulligan kind of blew us away. I haven't seen that a lot, mm-hmm. which is kind of my biggest take, because I thought she was. this was going to be... You know, the the debut of this was going to be her chance to kind of secure that at least lead spot in the Best Actress race. I haven't seen that, and that's also why I said before, I, I, I underscore what you said, that Best Actress seems to be very wide open right now. Little Gold Men's podcast this morning was very clear about Carrie Mulligan is not necessarily the lead of the movie. It is, it's Bradley Cooper's movie, and he is the maestro. And the fact that you know, she's going lead is fine, but they don't necessarily understand the top billing. The top billing is more, a, a, you know, out of respect, I would, uh, that they would say. That's, 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 that's what they said. It could be a podcast. favor from Cooper, too, and how yeah. he was treated based off of Star is Born, where people thought he was getting too big for his britches there. So he's like, all right, I'm, I'll take a step back. It's deferential. Yeah, yeah and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. However, if it's, if it's kind of fake, though, you worry. Does that... right? But then, but I mean, how impossible of a spot does that put Bradley Cooper in? Like, what the hell can I do? <laughs> they're they're deciding to market the movie, yeah, towards that character. So that's top. You know, billing is always complicated. So I, I don't see a problem with that necessarily. Uh, Golden Globes is the next story here. Here's another 
you know, again, they, they kind of have to do this, but it's kind of, I don't know, it just hits me the wrong way that they're kind of yep. boasting right now, yep. revealing their votership stats, their identity stats for the 2024 awards body. Now, 60% is ethnically diverse this time. After, <laughs> you know, after they had no African Zero black American, members. Yeah. Zero black members. Good job. <laughs> It's 2023, by the way. So now they're 60% ethnically diverse. The outpouring of news from the Golden Globes the last few weeks, to me, just, I don't I mean, I'm going to say it's desperation. I didn't want to say desperation, but I, it, it feels like desperation. You like, think, oh, we, we, need a, we need a broadcast home. Well, do you think Netflix swoops in again? Because they already have SAG, but do you think they I was, was going to ask you. I mean, that was one of the, the profits I wrote down. Do you think they find a broadcast or cable home? Like, do you think it's going to be on easily accessed television, basic cable TV right now before by the time the, the show airs in January? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I put but, the odds kind of similar. I was like, yes, minus 150, no plus 120. Because it seems to me everything they release as a press release is they're begging someone to pick them up. Right. I would say no. I would say a streamer is going to pick this one up. Okay. At plus 120. But I'm not like hammering it, you know. If it's fake money, I'd probably put fifty bucks on it. It wouldn't surprise. I mean, certainly. Does Netflix want to get that kind of PR? It wouldn't surprise me. Obviously, you know. I mean, Netflix is scooping up a lot, but they're definitely trying to change the public image of the globe. Yeah. So it's just a very necessary story, even though it kind of feels uh, icky. Yeah. But at the same time, it's good. It's good to see the reform. Sure. It is 2023. I'd like to underscore that again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we'll move on to one acquisition story. Netflix acquired his three daughters. That was a surprise hit out of TIFF from uh, Azazel, Azazel Jacobs of French Exit, uh, Natasha Leon, Elizabeth Olsen, Carrie Coon are his three daughters. Uh, Jovan Adepo is also in the film. Look, this is a big acquisition season for Netflix. They've gotten his three daughters, Hitman, the Richard Linklater film, Woman of the Hour, Mountain Queen, and American Symphony, two potentially contending documentaries. It, uh, you know, all these other studios pale in comparisons to what mm. Netflix bought. But the, the sentiment I keep getting out there, and I think it's a rising one, Michael, people are kind of aggravated with Netflix acquiring all these movies because they want these movies to, to hit in theaters. And we know that Netflix is not going to have a, a a very large theatrical, you know, footprint yeah. beyond the base level qualifying runs that they give. You know, I was watching something recently where it was going over uh, recently canceled Netflix properties as far as like TV series go. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of ninety percent of the stuff that was canceled. Really? I mean, there's so much stuff on Netflix right now, but the the I just again speaking of desperation, like they they want something to stick so badly that they just I think they're just in suck up everything and just throw it against the wall and hope we get some kind of viewership out of it. They're certainly more wholesale than a la carte. We've been saying that for years, and and they're throwing big money at all these movies. Like Linklater, I think they gave him twenty million for Hitman, and then seven million here for his three daughters. You know, they're, they're picking the right movies, the movies that seem to hit at these festivals, right? American Symphony is was a big hit at Telluride, I believe. Sure. So, I mean, this is, 
they're buying movies that people want to see. They're just going to basically watch them at home, it looks like. And, and I mean, yeah, we had, we had I, talked for a couple of years, not to cut you off, but nope. we had talked a couple of years ago about how Netflix has kind of become the de facto home of independent or auteur-driven cinema. So well, that I, kind of sticks in line with that idea. But I definitely feel the worm turning again where there's like a bit of a backlash against Netflix right yeah. now. Yeah. And that's yeah. got to be because this was the the set of Netflix-driven strikes. I mean, we know that. Netflix changed the game with the streaming industry the way it is. It was the wild, wild west. They took advantage. And I could see a major Netflix backlash in this 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 Oscars year, you know? And Ted Sarandos was not painted in the greatest of light when it came to the WGA strike either. Right, but I, I think it's worth mentioning because I think these... These stories are uh, popping up right now with a lot of film Twitter backlash, and and I'm not always saying film Twitter is the touchstone, but I don't know. I think it's going to be palpable this year. Apple's got to feel like the cat's ass, though, huh? I mean, <laughs> wait, right wait. before all this wait, happens, wait, wait. is they that good or bad? Do... Cat's ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the second time in two days I've used that phrase, and each time I'm like, is this a real phrase or did I just make that up? But I'm sticking with it. <laughs> The cat's um, pajamas. <laughs> no, 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 no. Pajamas go on the ass. Everyone knows this. <laughs> but right before this strike happens and this Netflix stuff starts happening, hey, here's a billion dollars to establish ourselves in theaters. Right. They only look better now. They are using all of the big Hollywood distributors. Like one, mm-hmm. I think, they, I mean, they used Paramount, Paramount for and Universal, Killers, right? Sony for something else. And then they're using Universal for the February movie, right? Sony's for uh, Napoleon. And that uh, the big uh, Argyle Argyle. movie is going to be Universal. Yeah. They're making nice with everybody. Cat's ass. They're the cat's ass. (laughs) The butthole cut or no? No. No. Never. (laughs) Never again. Not on this show. (laughs) Let's, Let's be quick about the industry news here regarding the strikes. But essentially, sag AFTRA. has met with the AMPTP on Monday. They resumed negotiations on Wednesday. Now they're scheduled to meet Friday and next Monday, Michael, for some follow-ups. In terms of uh, the SAG Awards, Scott Feinberg had an exclusive, basically telling us what we were thinking for a while, but confirming it that campaigning is paused and quote-unquote put on pause essentially at the moment. Uh, But SAG is open for submissions. So if you submit your film, and if we hear news about all of the SAG submissions, which I think is upcoming and incoming, that is not technically breaking any SAG rules. So the SAG is not considering any submissions as campaigning, but you cannot, quote, participate in four-year consideration events or any other promotional activities that discuss, tag, reference, or feature-struck content, unquote, according to the Feinberg article. So that includes e-blasts and screeners, and everything's basically on pause. Yeah, until further notice, uh, our buddy Scott there having the quote, and that's that's those are the, the ringing words with me because if this – I mean, it's not hard to read these tea leaves. The more – close in time the negotiations are scheduled and yep. announced between the two sides the closer to the end zone this thing is that's how it went with the, the writer strike and that's how it feels with the act the sag after strike right now so this one probably breaks through and finishes and finds a completion within the next few weeks if that 
I mean, if it even takes that long. So I don't know that this is necessarily going to be affecting the SAG Awards at all. It does kind of, it did pique my interest to be like, man, there's an idea. How about a, a completely unbiased and balanced award season where nobody can campaign at all? Yeah. And we get one voting body that's just absolutely pure. I mean, at least in terms of what we think. I'm sure back deals will still be happening and, and the Andrew Riseborough situations will still go on at some level. But the idea of nobody famous being allowed to campaign and sway voters is kind of a unique thought for award season. So here's my question for you. We saw uh, Kaylee Spaney from Priscilla, and I looked up yeah. the pronunciation finally. We saw her win... Venice, Peter Sarsgaard from Menemory, Win Venice. Both those films had waivers. We mm-hmm. saw Adam Driver lose in Venice, but that film had a waiver for Ferrari. Uh, we, we saw Emma Stone show up for Yorgos's short film, Bleat, which she stars in at the New York Film Festival. It was a surprise appearance, but I, I guess she had clearance to do so. We saw her also show up at Telluride. I believe she was just, like, hanging out. And we saw Bradley Cooper get permission to at least sit in the audience with his family at the New York Film Festival Gala of Maestro. Do we put any stock to the few appearances from the stars, whether it's wavered or, you know, they got permission to just hang out? Do we put any any stock in that? Their mere presence makes if a difference. If this doesn't finish, you, you mean stock in terms of Oscars voting? Yeah, I wonder. Because, I, again, yeah. I wonder how much of the Academy is showing up at these festivals, number one. I mean, I think it, I think we'd put more stock into it if this, this SAG after strike were to last beyond the Oscars voting season. Then, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, if this is going to end, it's going to be a what, as it always is in Hollywood, it's going to be a what have you done for us lately type thing. Okay. So the campaign I mean, that's my be. thought. Yeah. Right. All right. Some juicy stories, juicier than I thought. Uh, Oscar trailers... We'll have to commence now because we got a bunch of movies that we've been anticipating. We got some first looks. Leave the World Behind, Andrew Morgan of Net of, of What's on Netflix. I know he's been very curious about this one. Uh, we're both fan, fans of Sam Esmail, Mr. Robot. This will be the AFI centerpiece, Leave the World Behind. Mahershala Ali, Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts, Mahala Harold, and Kevin Bacon, Michael. What do you think of this trailer? Ethan Hawke needs to stop answering the front door when strangers are at it. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally my first thought with this trailer. Okay. Oh, it's the purge again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he even uh, opened the door in uh, the black phone, right? Ah, uh, good point. Yeah, and uh, there was another one that just popped in my well, the first reformed. Yes. Stop yes. answering the door, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> he needs to stop answering the door. Bad things happen to him when he answers the door. Yeah. Uh, but oh, hello, the world is ending. Uh, we're here. We're here to help you survive it. Is that what they're saying? Is I, that what they're doing? Or cynically, your home is positioned well for us all to survive the apocalypse together. Would you please let us in and we'll help you help us? Don't I don't know talk what's to going Kevin on. Bacon. He's the harbinger of death and locusts. I think so. Or whatever that red goo falling out of the sky. Yeah. What is that? I That's thought it like was a pack of locusts. Thor the Dark World villain. Remember the yeah. goo goop <laughs> that got inside Natalie Portman? Yes. This is not. Yes. For podcasting. I, I, I don't know what this is about, this movie. The which cr- is a good thing, I guess. I'm intrigued. I mean, this cast is loaded, so you don't really have to give anything about the plot away if you don't want to. That cruise ship incoming on land. I mean, there's evocative images here. That's Yeah, they're all, they're all shot with snorri cam. <laughs> but, uh, if you don't know what a snorri cam shot is, this trailer is 
that the, the the shot where the camera is attached to the actor so the actor stays in the middle of the focus while the world around them moves because the camera moves with them yeah i mean that that shot happens like three or four separate times in this trailer alone that tidal wave gonna crash into the house the beach house there mahershal ali bracing himself up against the door yikes i don't know that we have an awards player here but it's certainly something that's worthy of intrigue right i am intrigued for yeah. certain uh speaking of intrigued Priscilla released its first full trailer. They let that teaser play for a while, and it was a gorgeous teaser. Teaser, We loved it. Of course, written and directed by Sofia Coppola, Kaylee uh, Spaney, Jacob Elordi. Son of a bitch. A lot of great quotes weaponized throughout the trailer here. And I, I got to be honest with you. The Jacob Elordi performance, the Kaylee Spiney performances, really good, really lived in. I liked his, I liked his accent because it was mostly just Southern. It felt like, it felt like, it was legit, you know, and it wasn't over the top Elvisy, which we just got, you know, from Austin. I Butler. wonder how much of the full shot of Jacob Elordi we're gonna get in this movie, and people have seen it already, so they would know better than obviously I would. But we, there's a lot of like Elvis is off center in this. He's got a couple profile shots and a couple straight on shots not necessarily close-ups but uh, like the biggest shot from this trailer for me is the one where he's holding her arm and she's looking up at him but he's out of frame completely and and there's a shot of him sitting down in the chair but he's got those giant sunglasses on you can't really see his face i wonder if if they're going to kind of hide jacob Elordi as elvis to kind of keep the comparisons to him and austin butler at a minimum you know what i wonder is if we're going to have old lady makeup for kaylee spaney next to old man makeup for some kind of uh, Leslie Nielsen. And this is going to end with the naked gun being shot. And we're going to show that she's moved on I, to bigger and better I things in favor of it. If that happens, I, I watched it last <laughs> night. I had to, I haven't seen the naked gun in forever. I was uh, laughing like a buffoon. One of the greatest trilogies in cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I mean, might be no, no, no. That's fact. <laughs> the costumes, the makeup and hairstyling, the production design of Priscilla, though, especially the set decoration, like set decorations guild. If they don't nominate Priscilla, mm. I'd be shocked. I'm with you. This looks like a, a heavy awards player. And I mean, I don't know that Boz Lerman and Sofia Coppola are going to be <laughs> <laughs> having dinner anytime soon discussing their favorite memories of the king with the way Elvis is portrayed in this trailer versus the way he was portrayed in the Boz Lerman movie last year. And I think that's for good reason. I think Elvis kind of has to be portrayed in this way. I mean, Sofia Coppola, she, she's able to contextualize the unfairness of being a woman, mm-hmm. regardless of the era in which her films occurs. And she's so good at putting into focus the societal pressures that are on being a female that make it unfair to be a woman. So it's almost like Elvis has to be portrayed in this way versus how he was, obviously, in the Boz Lerman, where he was total hero, total propaganda, total, you know, had everything going for him. And he's almost, like, demeaning in this presentation. Yeah. You you wonder. A black hair, more eye makeup. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know if I like it. What do, you, what do you mean you don't know if you like it? I mean, that was, a, that was like the needle drop in this, you know, in this trailer. And then we're like, oh, my God, he's not like you imagine. You get all the quotes. You know, there's a lot yeah, of very overbearing about. and very. Yeah. Yeah. I need a woman who understands things like this might happen. Are you going to be here or not? Yeah. And she's looking up at that look that she gives in that scene. I was, Oh, my God. 
Right. That alone blew it's me away. Definitely a different perspective, which is necessary, I would say. Sure. Uh, especially after the last movie. So, yeah, I'm, some critics that I respect really like it. Uh, Kenzie Venunu, who we've had on the show, she's a she's a, a real one critic that we you know, sure we think yeah. the world of and love Kenzie. She, it's her favorite movie of the year. So, I uh, I'm, I'm I can't wait to see it. I'm very bummed that I can't free up. And, and there's they had eight screenings this week, Friday night. So we'll have to wait for the New York Film Festival centerpiece reaction. But yeah, I mean, even I would without love to see how it's being played in New York versus how it's played in other film festivals. Yes, absolutely. That's like, the... is it being more catered to the East Coast audience or a Northeast audience? That type of thing. There's no question. The maestro New York bump was real. Yeah. Based on at least the pundits, mm-hmm. you know, horse racing, tra- horse race tracking of it. Certainly for Bradley Cooper, at least. Yeah. I agree. And, and the Holy. final thought here is the music didn't, the music was great. Phoenix or, and Sons of Raphael did the music for the movie. I don't know what music this was fun, but this was upbeat. It was funny. I liked it. I, she's, she's always has great music in her movies. That best actress category is going to be something. It's loaded. It's great. Yeah. Speaking of, Juliette Binoche could factor in. Yeah, and the Taste certainly. of Things had a new trailer from IFC. Obviously, the French National Selection. Vegetables in a pot. Gardening. Lamb chops in a pot. Eating. Pull quotes that really wowed me like so rich and romantic it'll leave you woozy from time out (laughs) i had to take miralax before seeing this film (laughs) (laughs) had me spelled abound i don't know if it has an equal in recent movies la times does anyone have a tums mike one (laughs) (laughs) the guys in the trailer is like now here's the thing i don't want to use this phrase very often but i have to use it here Mm -hmm. this guy this future me, not not that no, no I don't want anyone to say that. But he looks like future me, but hopefully I'm not this thirsty. You've always <laughs> come on, man. He's, he's thirsty. He's smitten. He's smitten. He he's a, a deep chef. smit, and he's act asking permission. But he's like, we all know guys that are in love with women who reject them are always endearing and never come off any other way whatsoever, <laughs> and that's what makes this a romantic movie. <laughs> uh. This was written by a what you said? A man? Oh. <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, I I want all this trailer told me. Uh-huh. I want to make a parody trailer of an international feature and see if I can get it into like a list of trailers reviewed by a critic without them seeing that it's a fake one. <laughs> Cuz they like the last 6 or 7 aside from Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. The we have a, a handful of these every year that I think are so just paint by numbers. Yeah. Nice music, love story, endearing look, food, backdrop, nature, food, loving looks. Yeah. It's the same tropes. I need to remember all of the fake Seinfeld movies that they go to see in New York. Like, <laughs> yes. Chunnel was in the last yes. episode I watched. And Woman's Erotic Journey from Milan to Minsk. Yeah. Right. But there's a lot of those, a lot of the, the you know, the quote-unquote international feature type movies yes and they never he's always watch he's like i don't get it i don't get what's <laughs> happening in a plot i'm not following uh, this uh, this one has the legs i mean this is obviously the controversial pick from france they picked this over anatomy of a fall as their international feature selection uh it was best director at can right he was can i believe yes um so uh, am i interested to see it 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm much more interested to see Anatomy of a Fall. Well, here's the thing. What kind of review can you get from me next week where you're going to be interested in seeing it? Because I'm going to see it. Here's the thing. If I pair a French restaurant, is that doing anything for you? Because you have multiple. to walk into the theater with a bag full of food or like a, just a giant baguette. You cannot do that. <laughs> I'm seeing it in Alice Tully Hall. There's 1,100 people there. You can only bring water. I don't water. care about them. <laughs> I just start munching. Yeah, like a loud lettuce wrap. <laughs> <sighs> just see how long I make it before they yeah. kick me out. <laughs> uh, I wish. No, I'm going to eat. Look at Wait till you see what I'm going to eat. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm going to get breakfast, then I'm going to get lunch, and I'm going to do dinner. It's going to all be good. <laughs> Something to look forward to for the next episode. I am. You do make me hungry, but there, there's definitely, like, a crescendo or a threshold point where I go from, like, hungry to nauseous. <laughs> you wanted, yeah, that's what I worried about. I worried about in terms of taking this and adapting it to a podcast. Am I just going to look like a slob? And the answer is yes. Uh, well, it's not a slob. It's just, like... How you're able to handle that? The the I'm not the eating that variety. Much, on, yeah. that's fine. But just the variety of raw fish <laughs> on top of melted cheese, I, on top of ground no, beef. I'm spending with caramelized onions. The raw fish was. Oh yeah. No, no. You're right. You're right. No, but look yeah. at. But it's like two spoonfuls. I'm bare. It's like, I'm I'm a fifi man. And I'm tasting everything, like because you don't get big portions. It's not. This like... is not me like fat shaming you in any way. By the way, I am. A, I am a large man, larger than you. It's just mm-hmm. my. I have these digestive issues. <laughs> I just cannot handle it. Think about it as more of a like a tasting menu. You know, it's not like I'm gorgeous. That's. I would still have the same issue. I just my stomach mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to do it. You just can't do the variety. I just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd poop your pants like mid <laughs> midway through the act two. Maybe I act would one. I would empty out Alice Telly Hall and those eleven hundred people. <laughs> Evil does not exist. Ryosuke Hamaguchi's uh, next film, the Drive My Car director, Janice Films is the distributor. I am like befuddled by this trailer. I'm going to see this movie this weekend as well. Not a lot to go on here. You got a father telling his daughter about deers in the forest, where their watering holes are. You got people debating whether they should allow the glamping site, the glamorous camping. And the guy, you know, rationalizing to himself, a little pollution won't hurt the water. And then you see blood dripping from the thorns. Did they shoot a deer? Followed by a string of critical pull quotes, a gorgeous eco-fable timeout, an absorbing film of quiet power, Screen International. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. Not a whole lot. I mean, the the pull quotes kind of do as much to set the expectations as anything we actually see in terms of dialogue or whatever. The only thing that struck me about this... So glamping is a made-up word. Mm-hmm. Are we at the point in society, this is not a question you or I are fit to even ask, never mind answer, <laughs> but are we at the point in humanity where we can now have the new words that we make up be the same word in every language? Because I, were they speaking Japanese in this? The, glamp, the word for glamping is glamping in Japanese, he said it. Mm. Yeah. So... Are we just, is it, I mean, are we going to be speaking a universal language for new words? That's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. Look at you. See? I, every once in a while. <laughs> I like it. I agree. Uh, All right, good. We'll move on to The Boys in the Boat, which he had a behind-the-scenes featurette from MGM. This is going to be a Christmas release from the director, George Clooney. You might recognize him. Music by Alexander Desplat, Joel Edgerton, Callum Turner, 
based on a very good book that I read by Daniel James Brown when I was still reading books and not corrupted by you, Michael. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm surprised more films don't market this way with the behind the siege footage when they have like I a think big a lot director. of them a lot more do than we give them credit for. They just don't have the star power of putting well one George Clooney but two putting it out in in lieu of a trailer first. Gran Turismo was the last film that really went hard at this and it did not yeah. work for Sony. Mission Impossible 7 did a big thing. Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, Top Gun Maverick, Avatar the Way of Water all seem to have rousing successes but you could argue those movies were going to be successful anyway. But I do get the fact that, all right, when you have George Clooney behind the camera and he doesn't, you know, he's not in the film, you kind of want to lead with George Clooney, and they did. It's annoying how good-looking he still is. <laughs> it really is. Once, Him and Brad Pitt both. Once he shaved that, like, I mean, that beer was like a crocheted beard. It was so thick. Yeah, yeah. He's the perfect man. (laughs) It was the Steve Zissou hat beard. I'm staring at a Funko Pop right now. One of my favorite Funko Pops. And he's wearing a little cap. Anyway, it was a crazy beard a couple years ago. Remember when that movie was supposed to get nominated for like 10 Oscars? George Clooney Netflix movie. Anyway, space movie. All right. You get the the storyline. You get the storyline of the 1936 Olympic crew team, you know where this movie's going. So are you in Are you in for this movie, or does this seem like a bland sports film to you and you're out? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a me problem, but when I said George Clooney, director, producer, the whole trailer, even before I knew it was an Olympic thing, I was like, all right, period piece, George Clooney, where are the Nazis, George? Like, where, <laughs> I know they're coming. Yeah. Give me the Nazis, George. I know they're in there somewhere, and, and you can't tell a story about this time period without including them. You specifically, George Clooney, are incapable of doing this. <laughs> and then after a little bit, it's boom, Nazis. Uh, you remember so. when the Monuments Men was supposed to win 20 Oscars? Yes. That's the, I could not. I was going to follow up by saying, yeah, and Monuments Men, but I couldn't think of the name of it. But yes. But this movie is going under the radar. Nobody good thinks. Night and good this luck is, as well. Yep. Right. But nobody thinks this movie. Well, that was uh, Red Scare, but yeah, McCarthyism. It's all the same. <laughs> Evil. Evil. Grossness. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but this movie's flying under the radar. Nobody's picking the boys in the boat for Christmas Oscars. Day release is a little surprising to me. Right. They got the goods with the score story. That's all I'm going to say. Family movie. I think this is going to be a family movie. Okay. Silent Night. John Woo of Hard Boiled, Red Cliff, MI2, Face Off, A Better Tomorrow. Joel Kinnaman in essentially a silent film performance because he loses his vocal cords, right? Or a grieving father enacts his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on Christmas Eve. So this setup is almost excruciating to watch in the trailer. So I'm worried. My biggest worry about Silent Night is that we're going to do like a half-hour setup and I'm going to want to walk out. Yeah. Apparently there's no dialogue in this movie. But once the action kicks in with the trailer, I mean, this looks like an epic rampage the trailer having owed to joy be done with gunshots is maybe it when, when the aliens come and they're like we need to know what america is in a 10 second snippet <laughs> we should show them the part of this trailer where owed to joy is being done with nothing but gunshots okay that's so america that that's us that's it <laughs> john woo is leaning into it so i don't know it's it's it's, it's an action epic right looks I mean, like looks like it 
big explosions, a lot of gunfire, a lot of, lot of fighting, hand-to-hand, close-quarter stuff. I didn't look up. When does it come out? Does it come out at Christmas? Could you imagine if they're holding this off to, like, March? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably a stupid question. However, there's, like, yeah, December 1st. All right, but there's, like, 50 movies called Silent Night, and a couple yes, of them there came are. out is an issue. recent years. So, yeah. All right. Uh, all right, that's our trailer section. Box office update is also going to work into some what we're watching because you watched some yucky things I'm not going to see. But uh, <laughs> Paw Patrol is not that movie. Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, which I think is I can't a believe sequel. what they did with a small intestine in Paw Patrol. <laughs> 49.4 million through Tuesday worldwide for Paw Patrol. I think it's a small budget, $30 million budget, so Paw Patrol should make money at the end of the day. But Saw X is going to be our featured movie here, the number two movie at the box office, 18 million domestic, 11.3 overseas, 33.2 million through Tuesday. Michael, you saw this. It got great reviews that we were shocked over last week. Yeah. All right. Review it, please. I'm like afraid of this, but go ahead. There's a big part of me that wants to lie to get you into the theater. Like, I need you to see this movie. Why? Because because of how against body horror you are. Because, <laughs> look, for the first, there, there's like one Saw contraption to like whet your appetite because this is more of a character-focused Saw movie, and that's why you get the good reviews that you've gotten from this. And I completely understand it. And like for a Saw movie, yes, you do get a far more like enriching backstory and character arc in this movie with characters you're already familiar with than you do in any other Saw movie. I nearly went the last two nights. I'm going to be honest with you, but I you're safe for like the first 45 or 50 minutes. I and then there's like two things that are just like (laughs) gross. (laughs) I mean, even I was like, okay, that's like the theater was completely silent. I was in there with like maybe 20, 25 other people. Mm -hmm. The theater was completely silent, and I was just like chuckling to myself. That's a big crowd. (laughs) Ew, that's a big crowd. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, I think the good word of mouth has definitely helped it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised to see this box office be so low. Um, I thought it was going to do a little more, but look, it's not, it's, ex- you're not revolutionizing Saw because you can't revolutionize Saw. Mm-hmm. Saw is what Saw is. It's a game with a lot of people playing it and a lot of contraptions of death. So you do this, you get a richer backstory with some of the characters you're familiar with. That's what the high scores were attributed to. So you texted me after you saw this and you were like, I'm not sure how I feel about it in terms of how good of a movie it was. Yeah, because it's it's a Saw movie. Yes. I mean, there are some unique twists on things like Mm -hmm. John Kramer is this abhorrent character through like seven of these movies. And now he's undeniably the good guy and the hero in this one, which is kind of tough to take. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of tough to take. Yeah. All right. So you just disagree with the film, I guess. I mean, you know, it's, it's no, I don't like, there is no objection for me. It's because uh, I like the Saw franchise as it is anyway, despite all the low ratings. So, you like, watch yes, all this these is horrible ones. All right. the horrible. So this is there is no doubt this is one of the higher quality in the Saw franchise. Saw one is I think probably better for me, but none. You're not going to be disappointed if you see this in compared to any other Saw movie. Ugh. 
But I need you to see it. (laughs) I'm seeing the good reviews, and I try to see every good reviewed movie, well-reviewed movie, because we're an Oscars podcast, and I want to get my best of the year list. We're also doing the scaries, Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to... So you have to see it. This is going to be one of the biggest horror movies of the year. Uh, (laughs) Don't want to. If you see it, I just need to know what you think of the rope scene. God. (laughs) Just sounds disgusting. It is disgusting. It's purposefully disgusting. It's so gross. <laughs> I literally was like, <laughs> "Ew." Ugh. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna say either way. I because I don't know. I don't know. I almost went the last two nights. I had my AMC A list app story. open. It's it's a very it's a very good coherent story, which is also something you miss in a couple other Saw movies. But I. Decided to watch Naked Gun last night. And Not a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the offerings right now, and I'm like, I, I get why the box office is kind of low. I mean, the creator yeah. came in third. You know, eighty million dollar budget's only done thirty five million worldwide so far. Should have been re- retitled "I Wove You Wobot." <laughs> the Nun Two. It's a religious superhero film. Thirty eight million dollar budget, which some for some reason I read sixty million a while back, but yeah. The Nun 2, now on VOD, PVOD that is, $233 million worldwide. Yeah, why not? It made its money. Did you know they made a biopic of Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson? That's called The Blind. That has made a $6.3 million gross through Tuesday. I wonder if there's going to be some smaller studios that cater more towards right-wing or uh, politically-leaning people. Is it? Because of the success of things like Sound of Freedom and... I mean, there is a market out there for them. Is it a uh, religious film? The Blind? I'm ge- Are you I'm... asking me if I know anything about the Phil Robertson? <laughs> bio I don't pick? know. I I know. I know nothing about it. I know he. I I think the the movie's like a, he overcame addictions. I think, but I don't know if it's a religious film. It's anyway. a cool story. I, I don't know anything about it. A Haunting in Venice. The fact that we don't know anything about it probably means it's a yeah. religious film. All right, A Haunting in Venice. <laughs> $90.7 million worldwide box office on a $60 million budget. They're saving face a little bit, I think. The fact that that's still in the top ten is probably all you need to know about the box office right now, because I forgot that movie. I mean, that, that's on, I think that's on Disney Plus right now. It's on VOD for sure. Is it already? Yeah. I, it's not It's not very good. Yeah. Dumb Money is doing terrible. And Dumb Money is like one of the better movies out there right now. Yeah. 8.6 worldwide. So here's, I, know, I read the budget was 60 to $70 million, but... It's now listed at thirty million. Do you think they are backtracking on the budget to make it seem like Could less be. of a loser? Could be because those are not inspiring numbers by any stretch. Would not surprise me if that comes out to be true. Anyway, the Equalizer three one hundred fifty eight worldwide on a seventy million dollar budget. Expend Forbles, who the fuck cares? Barbie one point four three four billion worldwide. That's your top ten from last week. Yeah, and uh, next week it doesn't look any better for the Exorcist Believer, which right now carries a 22% on uh, 94 Rotten Tomato reviews. Universal paid $400 million plus for the rights to this film franchise, which was originally going to be a trilogy from them for David Gordon Green. I've heard nothing but middling to negative things about this. It's too reliant on jump scares. It's too loud too tropey the ending doesn't stick 
Uh, the fact that the review embargo wasn't lifted until today or yesterday right. on it is probably all we needed to know to begin with. But, yeah, not great stuff for the Exorcist believer. I, I haven't felt good about this at any stage. No, I've you been have not. predicting the Exorcist yeah. believer to tank from for a very long time. So, yeah, I'm not, not surprised. I'm not even going to get smug with everybody. I told you so. It's not even <laughs> worth it. not even worth it. Because I, I did. I clearly did. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it still feels a little good. Oh, no. I'm about to knock over, like, all of these glasses. Hold on. <laughs> that would have been a pots and pans moment on MMO. <laughs> I just fidget happen? with things while I'm recording. And, it, oh, there's just candles. Oh, what am I doing? Knocking over a lot of glasses isn't something that happens, like, in a buildup in that way. It there's usually a either happens or it doesn't. There's a bunch of glasses with candles in them because we've had some power outages. I've stacked them up. Anyway, I've right. got to put those away. All right. Let's hit some reviews quick to uh, to go out on here. Mm-hmm. I think uh, well, I think October is shaping up to be a crap month, though, Michael, because... It's not great. I mean, look at I'm getting solid movies like Reptile. I, I didn't expect to get anything out of Reptile. And some jarring editing moments aside, which were just so manipulative. Like, there's there's a few deliberate attempts to mislead us to keep us guessing by the reptile grant singer that that was amateurish yeah that (laughs) what what did you say i said it's justin timberlake it's justin timberlake (laughs) focused he killed that lady there are collection of good scenes (laughs) in reptile and i like that it's ambiguous and i like that it's a thing piece to an extent it's not Fincher's Seven. I'll <laughs> just say that. Uh, but it's it's like much better than some of the crappy serial killer or killer movies we've been getting. Like To Catch a Killer, Shailene Woodland, Woodley, Woodley, excuse yeah. me, Sam Mendelson, awful this year. Hypnotic, Ben Affleck. I hear it was awful. Remember that movie we did during the Pando, Lost Girls? Yes, yes, awful. Boston yeah. Strangler was okay. The dry, the little things, the pale blue eye. I feel like the reptiles in that tier. That's not bad. Pretty solid. Low yeah. B, B minus, something like that. It's a decent watch. It was a good watch. Benicio del Toro's great. Cinematography's great. I love the Alicia Silverstone. Everybody's got a poker face. It was fun. I was engaged. Justin Timberlake did it. You did not quite feel as strong in terms of the goods delivered about talk to me. Which was sad. Stop ignoring me. You know I'm right. <laughs> I like this movie. I this movie won me over. Talk to me. Gave it Why a aren't B+. you acknowledging that I'm right about Justin Timberlake doing it? I am not gonna <laughs> say anything. But here's here, I'll be here's I'll be truthful with you. I don't okay. know. The movie ends. You don't really get oh, an answer. One of those. So that's, right. it's you don't get a definitive answer. You you. Yeah. So Fair maybe enough. that's a spoiler that it's ambiguous, but. I, I think that's a spoiler that can help people because you know what you're Chris going Chris Kirkpatrick did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the idea of Talk to Me I love. And there's a lot of fertile ground to hoe here in terms, like especially for a new director that wants to make a name for themselves. And I do think Danny and Michael Philippou deserve a lot of credit for bringing that to the forefront because I don't know that anyone will get a chance to tell those types of stories about uh, a possession movie if they don't do this movie and this story first. But that said, the execution of the story like infuriated me in some places. It'll it's a good watch if you're a horror fan. It'll kill a couple hours for you. And even if you actively root against the children like I do, just generally 
in life, but also in this movie specifically, you'll have enough to keep your horror heart invested. But at the end of the movie, to me, if you ask just the next logical question, it kind of like undoes a lot for you. I feel as if you're angry with talk to me because it believes itself smarter than it should than it is and yeah you watch probably fair drek you watch complete (laughs) and utter schlock horror movies correct that are quite frankly dumb you watch dumb and you watch dumb characters and you've made me watch all of this which is why you're getting this tone well here here so I'll i'll put i'll put my acceptance of talk to me like this I, I I gave talk to me an eighty B minus. I gave Saw X a seventy nine C plus. Okay, so I'm not like I'm 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 relatively high on it. So you're disappointed by talk to me, right? I'm let down by it, even though the great and it, you know honestly, all of us strangers was kind of like that for me. I was it's undeniably well done. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, I okay, but those Drek movies don't pretend to be. They don't have intrigue. Right. They're just bad. <laughs> That's what makes them great. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've definitely covered this ground on this podcast before. <laughs> I, I do want to end with one other movie that you know you recommended, BS High, which is the fake high school football team. Yes, you watched it. Going against IMG Academy on ESPN. The, what was it called? Uh, Bishop. Uh, Bishop Sycamore. Sycamore. Yeah. I, I, you told me about this. You warned me about it. I'm still shocked, utterly Crazy. shocked that this happened. So even after I knew a lot about it, I still watched this documentary. And I cannot believe he is such a grifter and a con man that he's able to pull this off. And then I cannot believe the aftermath. So I'll just tease people on that with BS High. What a ludicrous. Have you come across someone like this? No, I mean you coach high school football. No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm I coach at a public high school, so I. But no, I, I don't even mean like someone who's a, who's capable of pulling off this size of a grift. Have you come across anyone who's like got that crazy in their eye? Maybe you know they're they're entrepreneurial types that work with all the camps and all the off season stuff, and you're constantly dealing with people trying to make a lot of money off your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to steer my kids to the right people and get them away from the wrong people and we try to offer them you know we we try to offer them enough so that they don't got to spend thousands of dollars to learn fundamental fundamentals you know right because that you you can get conned by that's gross yeah that's no good there's a lot of guys out there trying to make a buck and i get it you know they're just trying to make a living right but at the expense of yeah i mean this this guy was i don't know crazy you know, that, that whole story that story is crazy is what i meant to say i mean that, that is just a, a nutso story completely nutso <laughs> totally just can't take your eyes off of it type of a documentary i, I love this b85 really good grade yeah enjoyed the hell out of it so thank you for that there you go i'm glad you uh glad you got to that glad you found value in it uh dear listener what matters most to us as always are your thoughts not only about these movies that we reviewed not only about the movies mike saw at the new york film festival but about the delicious offerings that he uh, uh, both described and enjoyed and digested uh what do you want to eat most from what also mike put forward here i think my vote would be for the chicken sandwich personally Ooh, yeah yeah that was good um, so much yeah. better than you think 
but I do want to get to that burger as well. But and now I'm talking. When we go to Westport, we'll yeah. order the chicken sandwich as an appetizer, just like we did. <laughs> you I go. would totally you take go. a couple. You've more already bites got this blueprint done. You're you're the Lewis and Clark of this uh, <laughs> exploration. <laughs> you can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at mm and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com dot com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasting. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we we do here if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so thus far for us michael tell the good people what's going on your uh, your palette next and uh, let's have some words of wisdom to end on yeah i'm seeing eight movies at the new york film festival this weekend this will be my big wow. weekend uh including films like hitman anatomy of a fall the taste of things the zone of interest the beast etc evil does not exist i'm, I'm pretty hyped up uh and uh, i'm gonna eat some more good food I can't wait to do that as well. I'm going to try to mix it up to where I'm not like uh, doing the same thing all the time. But I look, I'm going to I'm going to get it that burger that I touted. I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat that burger. I'm eating that burger. I, well, I think you should leave. Did you just house his burger? You get Are you give me that. you going to tell everybody I house Dylan's burger? Give me that. <laughs> That's how I felt. I was that happy. I'm happy when you're happy, bud. So the words of wisdom, get the, get the Emmy double stack at Emily. Jesus, mm-hmm. God. There you go. Wowza. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come house that burger with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.